It is a beautiful Monday morning. That's not a good start, is it, Joel? No, no. Let's say it like this. Try and apply that theory to any other industry in the world. It's a scam. I was betting like 70, 80k. This is the Trademade Sports Betting Podcast, helping you beat the bookmakers. G'day guys, Alex here. As you can see today, I am at Top Sport, which is a sharp bookmaker here on the Gold Coast in Australia. Be giving you guys a behind the scenes look into what a bookmaker looks like behind the scenes, how they operate, all that good stuff, having a chat to the CEO, Tristan Merlihan, at the same time. So I hope you guys enjoy. All right, we are here with the Top Sport CEO, Tristan Merlihan. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, Alex. Thanks for coming up and having a chat. And Hope you really enjoyed the office, a little yeah. bit of a peek around the place. So yeah, we're happy to have you up here. No, mate, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and it's just in, incredible that you give this kind of insight to the to the public or at least me. And I can uh, I can give the best, you know, feedback to the public on, you know, what it looks like and, you know, I guess the insides of, of how a bookmaker operates because I guess you wouldn't get that from from many other bookmakers in the industry. Yeah, no, and that's something I've always said in, in anything we've we've done, it's always a case of like, we're very open about what we do, um, you know, and, and we, we're, we're very genuine and, and, and very transparent in anything we do. And, you know, some things people agree with, some people they don't, but I think that's the thing I always try to pass on to our guys out there on the trading floor and something I hold pretty dear as well in terms of values is that if you're going to make a decision you've got to be able to justify it and I think there's, it's great you, people it, it's like the other side of the, uh, the, the the coin where people want to come in here and yeah. see what's uh, what, what, what a gambling or what a, what a bookmaking office is all about and uh, we've got a good group of team out there at the moment that are working hard on yeah. it we're doing this on a Friday Arvo so you'll see a bit later on the uh, the amount of guys that are in there trading on uh, we've got footy coming up tonight obviously state of origin round tonight so there's not as many games as what we would normally uh experience and then we've got a good card of afl and plenty of racing so yeah, yeah it's a it's, it's a good little setup and yeah glad yeah. i could come in and talk you through it yeah no it's lovely mate um why don't we just kick things off tell us a little bit about Tulsa. i know you've been on the podcast before but i think just for those who haven't seen the podcast or just a quick yeah brief uh, yeah, introduction to top sport and uh, and then we can go from there into the more interesting questions like <laughs> yeah no well, we, we've been around for 15 years now um, and and I think a lot of people as we probably touched on last time when I was on the show uh, we've we've been around for an extended period of time but we're probably we're nowhere near the the, the top echelon of bookmakers in terms of hold or, or, or customers and those sort of things yet but we, we've grown from a three or four person operation to we've got about 40 on the team now. Uh, we started in 2005, I actually set this up with, with Dad. Um, he was an on-course bookmaker for many years at both uh, Sydney and on the Gold Coast. He was probably Queensland's biggest bookmaker for a long period of time. And I was at uni at the time, I was only 18, and we decided I could see all the people punting away in class and probably should have been studying. But uh, I thought, well, ma maybe we've got to try to get online and take some bets on the basketball yeah. because the, the issue, um, back then when um, we, we could bet on sport and back in 2005 on the racetrack. So I used to help dad on the racetrack and, and carry the bag for him. And uh, you know every Saturday we'd be there. Um, the issue was you can only take bets on the footy when you're actually on course. So you couldn't take any bets on the Friday night games unless we fielded on a Wednesday. So I think everyone's very aware now that the markets are nowhere near as efficient on a Wednesday for a Friday game. We had to take our big bets on a Friday, so it was a punter's delight there being able to get set for bigger amounts just because we wanted a bit of action on, um, on, on, on Wednesday for Friday. And then, you know, same as Sunday, you couldn't take a bet and you'd be busy um, working on the races and you'd have your market and it seemed so naive in, in hindsight, but uh, Dad and I used to print out our markets, work out where we had things positioned on Saturday before you headed off to the races. And then if anyone's seen a bookmaker uh, work on the rails at Sydney or on the Gold Coast, it's pretty hectic out there when the races are in the middle of the day and obviously your AFL games would kick off at one or two, Gary Ablett might have pulled out of Geelong and we'd still have the line of what we had it in the morning. I had no idea, punters were ringing up having these big telephone size <laughs> bets on. We couldn't work out why we weren't winning, but it was, it's pretty easy in hindsight. But um, then we, uh, we went online. I just started a very small operation myself. I'd sit up in the office and handle things. Dad would still be on course. It just gave us that outlet to to work on Friday, work on Saturday, work on Sunday, um, on all the footy games Saturday night as well, which was which was good as an eye opener. There was, there's a lot of different things when you when you move from on course to online, but I think you can take a lot of uh, positives and 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 le lessons from w what you get when you're on course as well, where you've got to be able to justify a decision. I think there's a, a change in 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 how the industry's moved in the last probably five or ten years where 
a lot of traders at a lot of the bigger um, you know, businesses, they haven't got to justify their decision to a punter. You know, you mm. can bet these really small limits and there's not that there's no accountability, they're not doing the wrong thing, they're doing it by the business model. But for us, we'd have to tell someone, hey, you can't have this bet and this is the reason. You'd have to verbally say it to them or talk to them over the phone and it'd be myself yeah. or dad conveying that message. And that's what I try to pass on to the guys in our office that if you're gonna make a decision, you gotta be able to justify it. Don't leave it for the customer service rep to have to handle an irate customer over something that isn't isn't right. And we never ever get everything right. I, I don't think anyone can say you get everything perfectly right all the time, but I feel that on most instances, we get it right more often than not. And if we do butcher something where we're very open, say, look, we did get that wrong, we'll, we'll fix it up and, and go from there. So I think that's something that I've learned from going on course to online. And um, it's something that you try to instill into the other traders out there, because not many of them have had the opportunity to be able to, to be in that space. So it's trying to convey those lessons and, and I think most of the guys do a pretty good job in that space. Yep, no, terrific, mate. How, give us an idea of, you know, you said 40 employees now. So are they, are they all traders? Are they all doing the same, like as one person doing one sport? Are they, you know, diversifying amongst different sports? Yeah, so the vast majority of our team are traders. I think probably that 40, maybe 35 would be, would be on the trading team, which is, um, a sizable proportion compared to a lot of the other operations out there where you, you know, we outsource a few of our IT things, our marketing, uh, these side of things where I know a lot of that's handled internally with some of the bigger operations. So we've got a key focus on making sure we've got the sharpest prices in the marketplace. It's a lot, there's a lot of um, manual trading late. There's a lot of um, making sure we're aware of news, um, people discussing things internally, what we need to do, where we need to move prices, strategies. So in terms of the breakup of those 35 odd traders, you'd have probably um, maybe 60, 40, probably on the racing side of things. Um, you have a few hybrids that, that jump around between racing and sport, depending on the schedule. Um, on a given Saturday, which is obviously our, our big day, we'd have um, someone trading the Victorian meeting, so the Metropolitan and Provincial meeting, they'd have their two meetings. Uh, someone trading Sydney, someone Adelaide and Provincial, Queensland, Gold Coast and Brisbane and then Perth and, and one of the others and then some New Zealand races in, in the middle of it. So you have about six traders on the racing on a, on a given Saturday. Um, you've got the sports side of things where someone will handle the AFL in the day, then someone else will take it over in the evening. Rugby league, you know, the trader gets in at lunchtime and handles the games throughout the course of betting and, and rugby union uh, as well. So And then you'll have someone else that'll handle a little rats and mice in between then you switch that up over the course of the, um, the year based on the schedule. and. Yeah, the, on, on a given day, there's the dominant trader, I suppose, that would handle the same sport more often than not. Mm -hmm. But we like to make sure that, you know, most of our traders have got a good understanding about different sports because if someone's away or, you know, you've got to change something around. And, you, and you know, people enjoy a bit of flexibility, a bit of, a bit of uh, difference. If you're doing the same thing the whole time, every shift, it, it can get a bit monotonous. So, um, yeah, a lot of our guys have got a lot of skill across many different sports racing as well, like they can handle the provincials, the metros, the dogs, the trots. There's little nuances to all of it, but fundamentally a lot of it's the same. So yeah, the vast majority of the guys are, 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 are trading out there. So first topic I want to talk about is the, I guess, the soft versus sharp model. So you guys are more on the side of the sharp model. I mean, there's all, there's all different types of ways you can do the sharp model, isn't there? I mean, the, but the, general, the general theory is you guys are taking a lot more money on games than than your average bookmaker. I mean, you guys are, I don't, <laughs> I can only think of like you guys, Pinnacle, Bet Chris, there's, there's, you know, there's a handful of you guys in the whole world that, yep. that are doing the sharp model. So have you, have you ever considered going to the soft model? Because it seems like just from the outset, from, from the outside, it seems like the easiest way to do bookmaking. Like it, it doesn't take too much brain power in that sense. It's just if you find someone that's, that's beating you, get rid of them keep the people <laughs> that, are, that are giving you money in a sense um, and, and just you know turning the wheels like that. It, have, you, have you ever considered going to, or, or do you disagree with me, do you think that is actually a harder way of doing bookmaking? Oh, there's a few different ways to look at it and I guess there's a few different ways to answer that question and, and to be perfectly honest, um, we're, we're wanting to maintain our model and grow our model and that doesn't mean that we're going to solely be taking on the pro punters. What we need to do, particularly with the way the, the, the taxes and the, the, these new things are coming into the industry, um, we need the ability to be able to grow 
all customers and we want to continue to service our professional to customers. We respect them and it's, it's probably ingrained in us from when we were on course that you know, I would never just go in there and say, hey, you can't bet on this anymore. On racing now, you can't do that anyway because of the yeah. fact that there are minimum bet limits. I'd love to see some minimum bet limits brought in for sport. I think that would be really good for, 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 for everyone. Um, whether it's possible or not, I don't know. I, I don't think it's that difficult. I, I really don't. And I think that would be great for the industry. Um, but to answer your question, it's also not... Um, it, it, there's benefits in what we do as well with being a sharp bookmaker and, and, and I wouldn't even call it sharp, I'd say it's a fair bookmaker. Like we, we obviously don't bet massive limits on minor sports, it, it's different. We have limits and we have limits based on events and, and, and times to jump and, and we're pretty, uh, we're very confident we're leading the marketplace in those. Like for example on a rugby league game which is our premier sport or an AFL game which are our two premier sports, we'll bet everyone to win 10,000 in the last hour on our winning line. It's not the case on a prop market. Obviously, we still have strong limits on that, but it's it's different. If they're betting on a Tuesday for a Saturday game, the limits are different as well. So, but we're very happy to explain those and, and be very clear with the expectations for customers of what it is. Obviously, with the way the taxes are coming, we have had to tweak those over the years. I'd love to be uh, back in the day where we bet everyone ten years ago to win five thousand on a on a on a Wednesday. Wouldn't blink an eye, and 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 you know it was it was known, and there would be other people out there in the marketplace to do that, but it's become a lot more difficult to do that. But it's also helps us shape our book and helps us get our markets really accurate so that we can take those big bets at jump time from our sharp, our grey, our soft customers as well. And, and I think it's a case of, you can look at it two ways. If you're just gonna go and shut people down, which yeah, we could if we wanted to, we, we don't want to, but we, we, we could if that was where we wanted to move to. I don't think a lot of these pros are just going to then move away and uh, oh, top sport don't want us, I'm going to go somewhere else. There's different avenues to get set. We, we feel we've got a really good respect with all of our winning customers and, and, and our really genuine pro um, punters that um, they're going to do the right thing. They're going to come through the front door, they're going to back the option they want to be on, they're going to have their, they know we're going to give them a fair bet. And, and we know that, uh, that the market's going to move based on, on that opinion and we, we bookmake and that, that's all it is. It's just trying to shape your prices based on the volume of money, the supply and demand, um, different opinions. We have our own opinions as well and we, we look at what the, the sharp punters are doing and we, we move our odds to do that to either offset it or, or lay other runners shorter and these sort of things. So to answer your question, no, I, I certainly don't ever see us getting to the point of switching people off. We'd never do that. Um, and, uh, and, and we hope we can continue to offer the exact same service we've always offered, but from us, we need to try to grow our, um, our, our number of customers. We need to do that to be able to ensure that we've got the, uh, the stability yeah. there to take on the pros and to continue to do that and to sharpen our market. So it's a catch-22 situation, yeah. and I think we do it pretty well. So how hard is it for you guys, like as a sharp bookmaker, like, is that a goal at all to become as big of a you know bookmaker as the tab or sports bet? I mean, I'm sure it's a goal of yours one day, but like, how seriously it must be very difficult to to go from where you guys are now to all the way to yeah where they are at the moment. Yeah, and obviously you know you, you have silly goals of where you want to get to, and then sports bets miles in front of everyone at the moment. They do a great job. Um, and I think they offer a pretty good service on, on most occasions too. I, I feel our model would work unbelievably well the bigger we get, I, I really do. I, I think the bigger we grow, the, the better our model works, which I'm surprised a lot of the other bigger places haven't gone down that road because I, I think there's only a finite amount of um, really sharp punters out there uh, that, that are the ones dictating these markets. And if you can make your markets sharper and more accurate, it's got to provide you a bigger percentage for your recreational punters as well. So yeah, of course, I'd love to get there and I'd love to maintain our model doing it that way. It's just such a such a big jump to go from even where we were two or three years ago to where we are now. There's a lot of growing pains involved in that. The taxes are very hard to absorb in our position in the marketplace. You get a lot of benefits when you're quite small. You get a lot of benefits of scale when you're very big. To get from very small to very big, it's a very difficult and, mm. and, and long journey to get there because They've got billions of dollars behind them. They've got massive, big companies behind them. They've got hundreds and hundreds of staff. We're a family business that have grown from three people to 40. It's very difficult to be taking on the likes of Sportsman Labor. So we're having a crack at it, and I think we're doing a pretty good job making the, the progress we've made. But it's, uh, it, it, it is a challenge, and it's something we've just got to keep chipping away, finding little niches and, and, and gaining any little ground we can. 
what are your main strategies at the moment to, I guess, you know, let's just say becoming as big as sports bet is step number 10 and you're at step number one. Like what's, what's step number two and three look like to, to get there at the moment? Yeah, it, it's for us, it's, it's not really worrying about what the others are doing. Like I just have a complete focus on what we're doing. And, and I know, you know, if you, you go and meet up with some people in the industry, oh, this bookie's doing this, this bookie's doing that, or they're selling, or they're doing this, I don't really care. Like I, I really don't. I'm just more worried about what we're doing. I'm worried about every day trying to make sure we provide the same really strong product we're offering to our customers, trying to grow that just that little bit every day, trying to get the name out there, get people to know who Topspot are. It's amazing how we've got the partnership down there at Seabus, which you can see it's only a, a couple of kilometres down the road from our office. It makes perfect sense, but we've got the lounge out there and you know you get a couple of hundred people into the lounge and genuinely 150 of them wouldn't know who Topspot is. So we've got to change that mentality. We need people, particularly on the Gold Coast, to have a better understanding of who Top Sport are, understand why they should be betting with us. You know, we're one of the few Aussie bookmakers out there. We offer the most attractive odds. We bet anyone. We have, you know, everything that that um, that you could want. I, I feel we're moving towards that. But we also know there's so many things we need to improve on. We need to improve our app. We need to improve our website. And they're the little things we need to chip away at to help us get to level two and three. So I think it's now trying to continue that brand awareness, making sure people becoming more and more aware of Topsport, what we stand for, who we are, and uh, and just trying to fill in those little gaps in the deficiencies of our website and our app. If, if it was all a level playing field, let's just say, and you, were, you, and, you and me, you're the sharp guy, I'm the soft bookie, and we're both starting a bookmaker today, do, getting started, do you think, is it, is it harder to, to make money straight away as a sharp bookie versus a soft bookie? Like, who do you think would would be more successful to, to start with? Oh, you need a lot more resources to, to run uh, an operation the way we, we run it. So it, immediately it would be a lot simpler to be a, a soft bookie. Um, you know, even I've spoken to some bookmakers who are probably half our size in t- type of turnover and they can run their operation with four or five staff where we need 40 of them. So there's such a big discrepancy there immediately because we need to be on the ball with our prices. Um, you know, you, you, especially initially, you don't have the client base to be able to, if you're taking a sharp bet and you know this customer is probably going to beat you over a long period of time, you don't get that offset of, of money until you pick up a, a decent group of customers. So it's a um, certainly in, in, in the short term and even probably in the medium and even in the lengthy term, you're always going to be more profitable running a, a soft book. And there's no doubt about that. Um, we know our margins significantly less than everyone out there and we're well aware of that it also doesn't mean that we don't want to do it. Like it, it's one of those things you've got to have pride in, in your business and I have pride in what we do. And, and I feel that we can offer really good service. I feel we take everyone on and I feel we've got integrity out there that people can actually understand and say, look, you know, th- this, this is how bookmaking was run 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something we want to try to continue to do. And I, we talked about this on the podcast a little bit last time and you talked about kind of encouraging your traders to to make their own you mentioned it earlier too like making their own decisions being able to back it up how do you like because most bookmakers just want to balance the book take equal action on each side and, and make a sure profit i guess um what, what's it like trying to educate your guys to to try and take as much expected value as possible if you want to put it that way and but at the same time it's they're kind of playing with you know your money your family's money in a way like how do how do how do you like yeah teach them to to be a bit more risky i guess but know that they're actually making good long-term decisions yeah i I guess it's it's a case of educating them of these are the 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 maximum liabilities we want to get to in a game um you know if 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 we're happy or we're comfortable standing a match for x and we're only halfway there even though it's lopsided one way or the other and and it's business and we're comfortable with the price we're comfortable with a group of customers that are on it we're comfortable with our position then yeah you don't need to panic because you don't want to just flip the book for the sake of it to balance it if, if you feel you're on the right side of the number um i guess the thing i keep i always say to the guys win lose or draw it's important that after you've made, I, I find myself when I like, I still do a little bit of trading very poorly, I might add, but I, I, I do a little bit of trading occasionally if we're light uh, on the on the floor. And um, 
I guess it's one of those ones where I find if I've got to sit there and I've got to really watch the game or really watch the race, I know I've probably butchered something because I'm more nervous. I've put us into a position where I'm not comfortable. That might mean, you know, one of the um, one of the memories that always sticks out for me is uh, when Black Caviar raced over in Royal Ascot. My family were actually going over to Royal Ascot to watch it. It had always been a dream of Dad's to get to Royal Ascot and Black mm -hmm. Caviar's racing, so let's head over there. Now, we had a customer that used to have um, a million on Black Caviar every time she went around, like every race, probably from about the fifth race in her career. And obviously she never got beat. So he used to have a million on her, a very short. You know, Royal Ascot rolls around, I knew the family were over there. And I said to them, look, I'm gonna bet this bet back. I'm gonna just, so you guys can go over there, you're not cheering for the Aussie icon to get beat. Uh, you can go over there, you can enjoy the day, cheer her on. That was the most nerve wracking race I've ever watched in my life because we, had, we couldn't lose on the race, we were gonna win something small, whatever happened. But it was the opportunity cost. I'm like, I've done something completely foreign to what I would do. I've made a emotional call yeah, right. and dumped all this money. And she ended up just winning. Like, I don't know if you remember the race, but the jockey rode her out and then she stopped. And, <laughs> and oh, that, that was the most nerve-wracking nerve race I've ever watched when it's exactly what a lot of the, the you know, what you say where you're trying to balance your book, where for me it's completely foreign. Like I, I would have had, wouldn't have blinked the eye watching that go around, knock off the 30 or 40,000 or whatever it was at the, in, in that race. We have, I can't remember how short she was, it might have been a bit more than that, I think she was $1.20. So, you know, we would have stood it for our maximum if she gets up, but it was just a, a different yeah. sort of mindset. And that to me, I watched that race so intently, even though we had no risk involved in it. Yeah. So I guess that sort of explains my mindset on it and, and I suppose from our guys all you can impart on them is would you make that same decision again it doesn't matter if that bet wins or that adventure handling wins or loses or you, you you win or lose on the event as long as if you were in that position again where you had to make that same chain of decisions would you make the the same decision if, if you if you would and we ended up losing on the event then that's fine we if, if we're constantly doing the wrong thing we're constantly losing on the back of these decisions we need to understand the process and maybe tweak the process but um, you need everyone on the same page, singing off the same song sheet and trying to handle events the same way. Yeah, we had a, we had a similar question on Twitter actually about asking you, yeah, maybe Black Cat was a bit different, but now that you've got, you know, 40 people in the office, is there a, is there a game or a race where you guys were all sitting around and, and sweating the outcome? I guess like any, you know, like any professional sports better or any, you know, any, any better in the world does. Yeah, there's plenty of games where, you know, when you've got a, a sizable liability, um, probably wasn't anywhere near the, the big amount, but like Nature Strip a couple of weeks ago at Royal Ascot, all the Aussies were on her, on him, she'll say, and um, you know, that was a sizable stand. So, you know, it's very unpatriotic to be cheering against the <laughs> champ, but like, it, it's a little bit different in that sense. But yeah, there's, there's plenty of games where you'll put yourself into a position. We've got a lot of big punters that throw a lot of uh, bullets around and whether it be a race on a Saturday or a footy event on a Sunday or a grand final, but yeah, there's, there's plenty of them. I know there's, Plenty of cricket games. We've had some um, big swings. I still remember when West Indies won the uh, the T20 World Cup, and um, they got all those sixes late in the uh, in the last over. That was probably one of our biggest swings we've ever had. And uh, and yeah, it was a, it was a very deflated office <laughs> leaving there in the early hours of the morning. So no, it's uh, yeah, there's definitely, and I think that's that's the great thing about our team is that everyone's on the same page. You know, everyone's cheering for that same outcome. Everyone's going for the the, the big swings. It's not oh, I've had mine my punt on this or whatever, they're, they're, they're very engaged in what we're trying to do. And ultimately, it's, it's everyone's living or dying by the decision that that trader makes. And, and, and I think that adds a lot of pride to what we're trying to do. Everyone's trying to do their best job because you can see it, it's black or white in front of you that we need this team to win, we need this horse to get beat, whatever the case might be is. And, uh, and yeah, there's certainly a lot of swings every day. There's a, there's a sizable swing that everyone, uh, you can hear the, uh, he, he, sometimes I do a few podcasts and I've got the door shut and you hear a big cheer go out of the office <laughs> or a big groan and, uh, and people wonder what's happening, but it's when there's been a, either a positive or negative result. Yeah, yeah, okay, nice, I like it. Uh, profiling customers, I think this is like a, a topic that at least I've gotten into earlier and listening to you know certain other people talk about how they use you know their customers information in a way and that's a huge a huge part of your business is you know profiling the customers that come through the not through the door but on the website or whatever um, and using their information to to your benefit and to and to be able to make make money long term in that way um, yeah can you how long does it take you guys to let's just say oh, I signed up 
brand new top sport account today like how how many bets are we talking how many weeks like until you've got like a you're never going to be 100 percent certain that i'm sharp or not sharp but to a point where you're happy to make some serious decisions based on you know your profiling yeah we can make a call i i, I educate a guess after one bet um you know like there, there, there's certain things that that you'll see that will stand out like uh, dogs, whatever, and, and, and you, you can you can make an assessment based on that. And and I think one of the the key things we do really well is you know sometimes if someone is sharp and they're still betting in manners that we can handle it, they won't know that we believe that they're sharp because we'll we'll handle the business and manage it in a certain way very subtly, which is something that we pride ourselves on. But yeah, you you, you see accounts that after one or two bets well this guy is very very sharp or otherwise and then other accounts we've had guys betting with us for five or six years and some of their business is very sharp and some of it is not and and they're the really tricky ones because you know they're the customers that you you know that you're very difficult to read that they when they're betting early in a race day obviously they've got some mail and they're they know what they're doing if they're betting two days out from a footy game and you know on this particular team do they have some mail surrounding that team but then they'll have a five leg multi on Friday night when they're at their pub with a mate so it's it, that's probably the, the difficulty like you and it's people changing their betting habits over a period of time you know you you can get you, we've got customers that have been with us for 5, 10, 15 years and you know you, you could have someone rated or you know pigeonholed as this person but they've changed their betting pattern and they're the ones that can catch you off guard because all of a sudden you're you're tweaking your books in the in the manner that might not be the uh, the right way from from our long-term perspective yeah i was gonna i was gonna say have you had people sting you before where you i don't know i guess the common term is like a whale in the industry <laughs> i've heard many people ask me before if i've got any mates that have whale accounts where they've lost you know a lot of money on their accounts and yep. you know then they they sell them off to a i don't know some kind of sharp punter whether that's a syndicate or whatever and yeah next thing you know you know that the most like lucrative account i guess in your uh, in your businesses has swiftly become the the you know the most unattractive account for you have you have you had many of those cases yeah you can get it, get them occasionally like i think we're fortunate where most of our, our whale customers are people we know and um and you can you can get a pretty good read if someone's betting pattern to that extent changes significantly and i'm sure there's people probably listening to this laughing because they're like oh i've got him and uh, but <laughs> it, it, that sometimes is the subtlety because you can see some of our, our really good customers have been with us for a while and they might have these sharp bets um and we have to handle handle those bets a little bit differently based on the rest of the account. Like they, they stand out pretty pretty well when when you know what that person's doing. It's it's also making sure that you're betting products that you're comfortable with and and, and only elevating the limits um, at certain times. Like I I think we educate our bigger punters pretty well that if they want to have sizable bets, they've got to do it you know in the right time frame from our perspective. And that's doesn't matter what type of customer you categorise it as. Like you know we're not going to take a 50k bet on a Wednesday on a uh, on an NRL game no matter who you are like that's just not going to happen and um, and uh, that that sort of negates a lot of that and um, and if if a sharp punter is taking a whales account of that last hour which is when we really open our shoulders the sharp punter can get on to win 10,000 themselves um, in that last hour at least sometimes a lot of the time more so the incentive for people to, to do that to us is is a lot less because uh, and that's why there's the benefits in being that sharp model because a lot of we've got all the pro punters betting with us in the in the world in Australia and I've got a good relationship with them as well and and I'm confident that a lot of a lot of them and I'm not saying all of them because I know there'd be some people trying to do the wrong thing but it's a very small industry you work out very very quickly who is doing that wrong thing and that that, that mud sticks for a long time particularly mm. we offer a very fair service until someone's not fair to us and then we can we, we, we obviously, um, you know, we're not a charity as well. So it's, it's one of those ones where I, I think respect and, and integrity and um, running a business, because a lot of these punters are running a business themselves and it, it's a two-way street. And, and I think that's important and, and they have the, a good understanding of that. So yeah, there are a few whale accounts, but I think, uh, 
I, I, I think we handle that reasonably well. Yeah, and and how do you educate your your traders on? profiling itself because like the easiest way you can do it is just by you know seeing their closing line value that's you know one that's highlighted predominantly in the industry is like a if you're beating the closing line long term you should be making money from sports betting are there is that kind of a starting point for you in terms of educating the traders on profiling customers or is it are there some other ways too that you're able to because i mean there are people out there who get zero closing line value um i know i know a few of them and, and they've they're, you know, their ROI is huge. So how do you, yeah, are there other ways outside of that you're educating the guys? Yeah, for sure. So it, it's a, I think it's like in anything, it doesn't matter if it's in our industry or any industry, it's not putting all your eggs into one basket. So closing line value is immense. Like if, if you see someone's backing something at five and a half and the game jumps nine and a half, then yeah, win, lose the draw, they're likely going to be pretty sharp. And uh, there's also just the pure profitability, like some person um, might be taking poor prices to just winning and for our point of view they're really good customers because if we've got someone that's really sharp just on the pure P&L side of things and we can actually move the book to, to lay the other side without having to get into a really ordinary percentage like we love those type of customers there's plenty of them out there um, and then the other thing is just seeing the flow on bets like you know if, if someone has a bet and then you know a, a sharp punter is betting after them then it's highly likely that this person is is probably pretty sharp as well so timing of it if, if someone's having a bet just before or after some news has been announced if they're betting early if they're betting predominantly in one area if they're staking in a certain manner um, you know there, there's so many ways to look at it. and and it's not just one uh, answer which is the what categorizes someone and it's monitoring the the, the patterns as they go through too so uh, yeah there's, there's a lot of lot of ways to look at that responsible gambling I it's hard to kind of frame this question in the right way, but I've always wondered what it's like on the bookmaker's side where you can see someone potentially has a problem and they're, you know, excessively gaming and losing lots of money. Um, obviously, you have a responsibility to shut the accounts down, etc., etc. What is it, like, from a moral perspective, I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong at all because you, you're on both sides of the fence here. Like, you're, you know, you've got sharp guys that are taking money from you. It works, it works both ways. Like, how does it how does it feel morally when you maybe close an account down or you know turn someone's business away knowing that they've you know lost x amount of dollars due to your service if you get what i mean yeah yeah and it's a tricky one and, and, and i think um i think the industry has really improved massively over the last number of years you know there's another uh system coming in place the national consumer framework which is going to be really beneficial in that you know from my perspective <laughs> I love punting I love this industry and the last thing I want is for people to be negatively affected on something that I really enjoy doing and and you're never going to completely wipe it out because I know the the reality is and what you're sort of leading to with that question is you know you shut someone down and then they go and you know maybe move on to someone else and the same problem occurs again so I, I think all you can do is is make sure that you've got all the right mechanisms in place at the outset like everyone now has to enter a, a deposit limit when they open if they want to there's constant checks of that it's trying to make sure you have that conversation in the cold light of day if someone is potentially you know betting in what we perceive as beyond their means and it's a difficult one to ask because someone could be having a hundred thousand on something and that's well within their means yeah. and someone could be having fifty dollars and that's well outside their means so it's trying to have a balanced perspective on that it's trying to make sure that um, you know you, you can look yourself in the mirror and say, look, I've handled this situation okay. And I think that's all we go down. And, and, and it's a really tricky one and there's never going to be a perfect solution. Um, I'm hoping the, the framework that comes in is, is again going to help the people who are significantly at risk. Like we've got a lot of customers that have closed their accounts permanently and you know, you, you know they bob up time and time. And they, they might have had a situation with us where they had some pretty pretty strict um, deposit limits or, or things which was, from our perspective, we thought was controlling uh, how they punt. Um, and then they close that down and then they go to another company where there's, it's a free-for-all. So it's a really tricky situation and it's something that will never be completely solved, I don't think, in, mm. in, the, in the industry. It's something where, you know, you, you just got to continue to try to educate people and it's not the you know, the, just the catch, go, gamble responsibly. It's trying to make sure people are educated in the right way and, um, and doing anything and, and improve things in a way that's 
going to benefit it and, 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 and learn from it, yeah. Are you able to share information with other bookmakers? Let's just say I, you saw that I had a, a, a you know, problem with gambling, close my account down. Have you, are you allowed to go and share information with all the other bookmakers in the industry? That you, you can't really at the moment, but that's what this framework is once you exclude from us it will be placed on a register and I think it's coming in in the next month or so and then that will be shared and you won't be able to like I'm still trying to understand exactly how it's going to work but basically that's going to act exactly what you're saying where we're not the ones physically um, you know breaching the privacy sort of yeah. side of things but when that act is made in our system that that person is now self-excluded it will be it will flow on to a lot of other bookmakers which i think can only be a positive sense so no definitely all right twitter questions mate that, that was the great thing about this i sent a tweet out i've never had so many impressions on a tweet before i didn't realize i was that popular mate until i mentioned <laughs> top sport but um all right we've got one here from at capito 85 he says any plans to take the naming rights for the rabina stadium so seabus super stadium it is now in the future uh just down the road mate just down the road, oh, we're, we're one year into, I think it's our four year deal with the Titans. We're very, very proud to be involved with the Titans. I think the naming rights is a little bit beyond us at the moment, but who knows where we get to in three or four years time. So um, you know, they're our local side. I, I've always been a big Penrith fan, but despite the Titans not going so well, I've definitely switched my allegiances to the Titans this <laughs> year, which is a big shift from grace where we've got one team that's probably going to win the comp and the other one that might run last. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I, to their credit, the Titans—they're a very good team off the field. The guys we deal with are great. I really want to continue that relationship. You never know where it gets to. At the moment, we're we're comfortable with our type of sponsorship, but um, yeah. but yeah, we're, we're, we've got ambitions to to grow the business, and um, you never know where that leads to. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of you got Blue Bet. There's, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, stadiums being. Uh, there are. There's there's a lot of. Uh, you know, I know Blue Bet did their IPO and they raised a lot of cash. We're still a, a wholly family-owned business. We haven't quite got the uh, the uh, the liquid assets that the likes <laughs> of Blue Bet and Sportsbet and that of the world have. So we uh, we just got to do. Uh, things that are within our budgets and our constraints and, and yeah like we, we're hoping to grow that that portfolio all the time so lovely mate um, this is from my better life he says are you thinking about opening up operations in the UK or I mean we can extend that to you know worldwide have there ever been any conversations about opening up to, to those countries I reckon I'd be in trouble if I opened up in the UK because my wife's Irish and uh, I, I think that might end poorly for me. But um, no, I actually think our model would run pretty well over in the UK. I really do. I'm surprised there's not more of it, to be honest, because of the way there is a lot of cash business and you know, I'm a bit naive to how all that works, but surely with the anonymity of that sort of stuff, uh, having a sharper model has got to be a positive sense. So, um, yeah, I... I, I, I've always thought about it. Um, you know, the way the tax structure in Australia is going at the moment is something you've got to consider because there's um, it's getting harder and harder and harder to make it work it work here. And um, you know, as I said, oh, I want to continue to run our model for if, whenever while we're operating. You know, I'm, I'm not going to turn the back on that. And um, and and maybe maybe it's a bit easier to run things in America or in, uh, the UK, I don't know. So something, you know, we're, we're focused solely on Australia at the moment. That's all we're really worried about. But, um, you know, you never say never to anything. And, 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 and I, think it, I think we would work over there. And, and I, I think, but I, I also do think the, um, one of the big niches we've got in the Aussie market, which not many people can attest to, um, is that we are family 100% Australian owned, which a lot of the bigger places can't say that. So I know there's a lot of smaller ones popping up and that sort of dilutes that that little benefit we have, but uh, for whatever that's worth, but going overseas, you know, it's a big step. It's, it's, it's a lot involved in doing that. And at the moment, we've just got to continue to yeah. grow impact in Australia. Yep, cool, mate. And maybe talk a little bit about the, the tax situation too and how, I guess, how that, you know, obviously affects you, but then how that carries on to to the customers. Does it, does it does it affect the customers on a on a price basis? Does it all, or does it more so um, in terms of the amount of bets you can take, like the actual monetary value of a bet? Like, what how will that actually affect the customer? Yeah, the tax has been the biggest issue um, we've seen in the last ten years in in the wagering space. Um, so in Australia now, you've got race field product fee um, fees where you pay. 
a fee to the governing body. Uh, you pay to the racing bodies or to the sporting bodies, um, which we're happy to do. Like we are very happy to be paying the funds to the people that put on the show, but it's got to the point where, in my view, some of it's excessive. Um, then you've got point of consumption tax, which is where you pay to the government based on whether bets have been struck or the, the residence of the person is. So that's going to the government, which then gets passed back in. Now that's on all sports, so it doesn't matter if you're betting on table tennis or English racing or Flemington. If you're in Queensland, you're paying the Queensland point of consumption. That's gone up uh, significantly in the last week. New South Wales yesterday. Um, you've obviously got your GST, your income tax, your um, yeah, you employ tax as well. So there's all those things and, uh, and, and yeah, the impact, it's, it's significant because that's why the industry has changed. Like that is why we've seen a real shift from 10 years ago. <laughs> We'd be betting on a Wednesday and you could, you could take a 20K bet on a Wednesday and if you only wanted to hold five, you could bet back 5K with three other bookies. They'd all be happy to do it. Mm. You'd have no dramas. Like now, if you've got a customer that is losing 5%, to you, they should be a great customer. They should be one of your VIPs that are turning over a significant amount of money, losing at that sort of level, um, betting very responsibly, betting within their means, getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. Those customers aren't profitable anymore. And, and that's a horrible space for the industry to be in. These customers that, are, that, are, that we have a lot of that are our sharp customers that are winning one to 5%, they should be valuable customers too. They should be the champions of the sport. They should be able to get set and they can't at the moment because you know, if, if you're not winning at 7 or 8% on a given day, you're losing. And that shouldn't be the way you need to run your business to be successful. And that's why the industry's changed. You know, you've got the bigger companies that the traders on the floor are not wanting to shut everyone down. The traders on the floor are not wanting to bet people minimal events on an NRL game on a Wednesday. But these big companies are owned by the shareholders and they've got to make a profit. There's, there's nothing in saying, oh, we had a crack and we, we had a big swing on the game, we got a beat. They're just, you know, it is what it is. And, and that's no disrespect to any of those. It's just the way the nature is. And when you've got to, when you've got to be winning at that large number to, to be viable, you've got to be ruthless. And, and uh, yeah, it means the, for us on the back of um, the Queensland change coming in and the New South Wales change coming in. We, we've had to elevate our margin on, on, on racing. We've had to pop it up a few percent, um, which means, you know, it's worse for the punter. A lot of punters probably won't be involved on certain races. We have had to drop our limits. Like before the race fields came in on a race day, we used to bet everyone at any time to win 10,000 on a metro, 5,000 on a provincial race. Be happy to do it. Now you can't. And, um, same as a sport, I told you about those limits on Wednesday, you can't anymore. And, um, and that's the, where we sit and, um, and I know these, these fees have to be paid. I know there's a very, like, you know, the prize money on racing is great, which also helps integrity, but it's gone too far in my view. And, and, and I've been arguing this for five or six years and then obviously COVID hit and there was a sugar rush of COVID. And everyone thought, oh, the, the turnover was declining, not just with us, but everyone around the, uh, the industry and then COVID hit and all of a sudden everything spikes and then the, the solution is to elevate these fees again, which weren't working two years ago. They're not working again now with all the extra competition in the marketplace and we're gonna turn them up. It's gonna be a lot of bloodshed over the next couple of years and uh, it'll be interesting where it all finishes. And, um, and I'd, I'd, it's not good for us and it's certainly not good for punters. Yeah, and this is a question from Seb Parker. He says, you probably can't elaborate because it's ongoing, but would you like some, in or would I would like some insight into the current dispute with Rugby Australia, which is causing them to drop all the Australian markets and why it's different to others just to, and yeah, he, he just said, and also a general overview of sports body fees. Yeah, we're having a, having a discussion with Rugby Australia at the moment. I've done everything I can to resolve it. I've filled out every form I need to fill out and we're just waiting. And uh, I'd like to be able to say it's going to be on tomorrow. I'd like to be able to say I, I, I can't do anything more at my end. I've done everything we've needed to do to resolve the issue that's there. And, uh, and unfortunately, I don't know what the, what the problem is at the moment. So it's just maybe they're busy. I don't know. And you know, you, you, I've, I've reached out a number of times and obviously the season's just finished now. It's, it's only for Australian based games. So it's not really that big a drama at the moment, but obviously we've got international matches coming around. So mm. hopefully it'll be resolved shortly. Um, we've got great relationships as much as I've just, um, you know, obviously 
given my discontent about the way the fees are in place, I've said that directly to all of them as well. And and they all understand the importance we play in the in the industry. And um, you know, I had a very positive chat with Racing Queensland just an hour ago. And and um, I think there's you know that side of it. I'm very happy to articulate and give them the perspective that if you pop fees up, it just doesn't mean more revenue for them. It has there's a sliding doors situation. So. I think it's a case of I promise myself and anything I'm going to say, I'm going to say it to those people and having the integrity to do so. And um, and yeah, so there, there's a lot of different fees with all the different sports and Rugby Australia, we're just a little bit of an impasse at the moment. Yep. Uh, Punt School Jared says, how often does Vegas make the call on a game? I don't know. Um, I think that sometimes, you know, people like to maybe think that there's a uh, there's something going on or a, or a line or whatever but you you know from our end it, it, it's more so just having a look at um at where the the market's sort of heading to and and, and you know vegas is obviously very strong on all the um on all the u.s sports and you respect that their market moves and those sort of things so yeah i i think maybe it's a it, it's an overused phrase so i don't get too caught up with it <laughs> Nice. Um, and Jack Howard, 811, says, what advice would you give to a new bookmaker starting out? Uh, pray and, and <laughs> hope you get a few results early. No, you, you've, got to, you've got to start, you've got to be, and, and that's where we still are at the moment, even though we've, we've grown, uh, you have to understand where you sit in the marketplace. So when you come into the marketplace, you've got to understand the landscape, you've got to know your role, you've got to, um, you know, protect your good customers that are loyal to you, uh, whether that be winning, losing or otherwise. People that are pro your brand, you've got to make sure you look after them really, really well. Um, you've got to make sure you get those pieces in the puzzle sorted because you only get one first impression and um, get your IT right. When people come to the site, they're going to make a pretty decision, pretty quick decision if they're going to stick around or not. So I think it's getting all those things in place. Don't overspend early. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. I'll make many, many mistakes every day, and um, it's making sure when you make those mistakes, you're not, um, you're not, you know, they're not nails in your coffin. You, you've got because it is a very, very difficult thing to start when, when, you, when you're kicking things off. It's uh, a lot of people don't realise that, but it's uh, every professional punter is going to find you in that um, first window. And with the race fields, they're able to bet. And if you don't have a good group of customers that you can, you can offset that with, then you're going to have a couple of tough years to start so it's just making sure you, you're very confident you get a good group of people around you that are willing to work hard it's not an easy business you know like mm. I'm working me I'm still doing it now work 100 hours a week like you know it, it's 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 trying to make sure that you, you're prepared to put that that time and effort into making it work because if you don't you're going to get eaten alive like. yeah is there anything you would if you started all over again now that you'd do differently Oh, 100%. Like if, if, if anyone, if Matt Tripp was sitting here, he's obviously the, you know, the doyon of, of wagering, there wouldn't be a person alive that would say they wouldn't do something differently. Yeah, you, you, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn from them and, and, and you hope it makes your business and, and you better for it. But yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of things that we've done poorly and, and do, I re, do I regret them? Of course, but you know, um, it's just learning from that and saying, okay, well, next time, it's the same as when you're trading a game. If you've got 100, 100 games you're trading, you're not going to get everyone right. You can't, because if you get everyone right, you're not having a crack either. So it's like in anything, if, you're, if you've got to make 100 decisions, you can't get every one of them right because there are genuine 50-50 decisions that you've got to make. And you're going to be, you, you've got to try to be right 55% of the time. And um, so, yeah, of course, there's plenty of things that we would have done differently, and uh, but we're hoping to learn from them. And, and all you can worry about, one of the other uh, traders, he always says, you get a sore neck from looking looking back. So you can do is look <laughs> forward and, uh, and and try to be better tomorrow. Inspirational, love <laughs> it. Uh, biggest expenses for an online bookmaker? Race fields. They're just and, and to be fair, when you start up, it probably isn't that bad. But our fees are probably 65, 70 percent of our of our expenses. Like. It's just unbelievable. Um, probably for us, we'd be on a higher margin, a higher percentage of that. But it's scary the amount that you're paying out um, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So they're by far and away the biggest expense. Obviously, you've got a team, you've got your rent and all that sort of that's fixed. But um, yeah, the, the 
uh, product fees and the point of consumption by far and away our biggest expense. Yep. Uh, how much would you hold, say, on an average Sydney horse race versus an average NRL game? Yeah, it's a tricky one because you've then when you say average, that probably puts it in context. But if you've got an 11 o'clock, you know, first race of the day, and then your feature, there's miles apart. Same as a footy game, you you got a Saturday Arvo game and a blockbuster Friday night. But I would probably feel that maybe you'd hold more because with the rugby league in particular, you, we've got 200 odd markets, so you get a lot of action on a lot of different uh, options throughout the course of that. So I'd probably suggest on a good rugby league game, so not a origin game, but like a good one, um, and then a good race, so not a group one, you'd probably hold a little bit more on rugby league. Yep, all right. Um, what do you think about the future of uh, the future holds for Betfair's model, given the current tax landscape and increases to POC tax? Mm. I know they've got a few concerns over where everything's heading, and I'm sure they wouldn't be um, upset with me saying that. I've had a couple of conversations with them recently. I've got a massive respect for Betfair. I think it's mutual. We get on really, really well. They're so important to our industry. Without Betfair, the whole industry is in trouble. Um, and they need to be taxed at a different rate to what bookmakers are. Just like selfishly, I feel that if you're running a model like we are, we should be taxed at a different rate too. It's not as cut as dry as what what Betfair is. Unfortunately, there's some people in high positions that probably don't share those views. Um, I think I think if the um, if the taxes escalate like they are, I think Betfair are going to have to make some significant changes, and that's the, they're the last people that want to do that. I can assure you. I know they cop a lot of flack, or they have copped some flack over what's happened with the NRL. It's not their choice. They're not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because they have to. And um, with a strong Betfair, you've got a strong like for us. If, if we if we're handling a, a horse race and there's a lot of liquidity in a Betfair market, we're going to double or triple our holds on that event because we're confident in the prices. If the price isn't there and we're not 100% sure where that market price is, we don't have the confidence to leverage up our book. Yeah. It's a massive domino effect and, and Betfair needs to be strong for the industry to be strong. They've got to be taxed differently, which they are in some states. Um, but everyone needs to be singing off that same, some, same song sheet. So, yeah, if things don't change and it is what it is, then there's going to be some uh, changes, I suspect, which will be made at Betfair. Yeah. Righto, mate. Uh, my last question for you. I was watching back our interview from about a year ago, a year ago, and I, I, I said I wanted a search bar, mate, and I still haven't got a search bar. <laughs> I've asked that many, many times to our <laughs> IT. That is the uh, the biggest biggest cause of concern for me, our <laughs> IT department. They try their best, but we've uh, they've got a number of bookmakers on them. So. I don't know why it's so difficult. I would have thought it'd be straightforward too. I'll make sure I requested, and I'll make sure I don't accept another interview uh, until it's there. So, mate, maybe by that time we'll have the Naomi rights at, at Sea Bus in about five years' time. Yeah, I'm getting lazier by the day. I need that search bar. But no, thank you very much, mate. It's no, been a pleasure. Enjoyable. Hopefully, the listeners enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, hopefully enjoyed the office. So. Yeah, awesome, mate.